I appreciate the elders allowing me to come and I appreciate Michael and his invitation. I hope you'll come back tonight. I uh, appreciate Spencer and his prayer. You can just tell the zeal and the fire y'all got for a preacher who loves the Lord and I'm grateful for that, brother. I know, I know Spencer by name. One of my good friends, Rich Shockley, actually served with him uh, in Missouri for some years and so uh, I know him but I don't know him um, but he I know is a blessing to you guys uh, as he is to me as well John chapter 3 verse 16 you ever heard it before <clears throat> if you haven't it's a good one John chapter 3, verse 16 is probably one of the most popular verses, hands down. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It's one of the greatest summaries of God's love found in Scripture. But what can happen if we aren't careful, and this may have happened to you, uh, it may sometimes happen to me, not really meaning for it to happen, but is that it becomes a little watered down because we hear it so much. The meaning almost loses its power. So this morning I want us to consider and take a fresh look at a verse we know so well. And I want us to consider how wonderful and how glorious these words of Jesus really are. I want to get us into the context in order to bring this truth to reality. John chapter 3, if you'll turn in your Bibles there. This is the meeting between Nicodemus and Jesus. In verse 1 it says, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know, verse 2, that... You are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these uh, signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answers him in verse 3 with this statement. Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This concept of the new birth is confusing to Nicodemus. You'll notice that he says in verse 4, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? It's confusing to him. It would probably be confusing to us as well. Nicodemus is seeking to find out who Jesus is, and Jesus tells him that you need to be born again, or you will not see the kingdom of God. This concept is a struggle for him. But the truth of the matter, and really when we get to 
the point of John 3.16, this story that we know so well, the truth of the matter is that unless we believe in Jesus and really believe who He is, we will never get to the point of being born again. It won't happen. See, to get to the point of being born again, we must have a solid foundation of who Jesus is and a solid foundation of why He came to this earth. And that's what John 3.16 is all about. I don't know about you, but man, I am so thankful for John 3.16. Man, I'm thankful. Jesus continues to teach Nicodemus this concept of this new birth. And he compares himself to a story uh, of Israel. And I'd like to pick up the story in verse 14. Jesus says to Nicodemus, and Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Numbers chapter 21, these venomous snakes, they were sent among the people, the children of Israel, as a consequence of their sins. And many people died because of it. It was a big deal. But the people did something. They acknowledged their sin and they cry out to the Lord for help. And what does the Lord do? Like He always does. He is a one who's ready to help, isn't He? God then instructs Moses to get this bronze serpent and put it on this pole and take it outside, and whoever comes out of their tent who's been bitten, they can look at this pole, they can look at this serpent on it, and they will be healed from this venomous bite. So Jesus says that just as the serpent was lifted up for the healing of the people, and you know the story, when they went out and they looked, they were healed. So just like that was happening, Jesus says the same thing is going to happen when I'm lifted up. I'm going to save humanity. And the reason for this lifting up is explained in John 3.16. The first thing to consider this morning is, for God so loved the world. Just walk with me. Let me have your ears and your eyes and your hearts for just a minute, just as Spencer prayed, and this will be a blessing to your life. This may encourage you to be more zealous to go into a world that is lost, that is dying, that needs Jesus. This verse is so often understood only in terms of the intensity of God's love. Oh, there is an intense love that God has for us. You remember what it says, God so loved the world. But see, it's much more than that. There's so much more to that. It's not merely just a declaration of the intensity of His love, but it's the manner of His love. See, this is what should suck you into Jesus. 
This is what should make us as His people lock us in with a fire inside of us. We are reading a demonstration of God's love. God made eternal life available because of His love for creation. Do we get it? Do we see it? God loves us, and really we have to ask the question, why would He love us? What have we done? Why would He love us? Why would He love me? I know my life. I know the things that I've done. I know the embarrassing, sickening, disgusting things that I've done. Why would He do something for me? How can it be possible for the infinite and the all-powerful, this holy God, to love wicked and disrespectful people? How can God love rebellious I'm sure there's nobody in here who would ever consider themselves, it's probably only me, stiff neck folk. This amazing love that we sometimes overlook and not take the time to really understand, see, we're missing out on something, we're overlooking something, because when we really understand the love that God has for humanity, it changes everything. Listen to what he said to Jeremiah. The Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you. Look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive. Think about this. In Romans chapter 8, we talked about this in class. The love of God which is in Christ Jesus can beat anything. What a powerful love. And what about this one? 1 John chapter 3, one of my all-time favorite thoughts. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. If you are a Christian in here this morning, you are a child of the divine being. The almighty God. Man. See, these verses show us that there is no boundary to God's love. God's love is truly so amazing. It's so great. It's so unfathomable. Y'all like that word? I worked on it. I wanted to, I told the first uh, service that I, I, I worked on that word and I know what it means. So you can ask me and I'll tell you. But man, it just was such a great word to talk about God. See, God so loved the world that he did something. He gave. Think about this. We are the ones who should be giving to God, right? He's God and we're His creation. We are the ones who owe the debt. He paid a debt, did not owe. We sing that song, don't we? And we're the ones who really owe God truly. 
But what does the verse say? In the face of a rebellion, in the, in the face of people just denying what God wants you to do and ask you to do, he gave something. While people continue to sin, God gives a means for salvation. Remember the wilderness, the story we just talked about. God didn't need to give those complaining Israelites anything. What did they deserve? He didn't need to give them anything, but what happened? They were worthy of judgment because of their complaining, because of their rebelling, because of their rejecting, because of their outright disobedience. Yet God gave the people a means for salvation. And we're no different. Why should God do anything towards us? This is why we should be so excited about what we have in Christ Jesus. What should give, what, why should God give a rebellious, complaining, wicked world anything? He certainly shouldn't offer us grace or He certainly shouldn't offer us love. No one deserves what God has done for us. For God looked at this corrupted, detestable creation and made us to be brand new. To love us is really unbelievable. And how would we treat people that acted that way towards us? God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know how you treat people at work when they don't do it right, when they don't want to listen to you. Man, I struggle sometimes with, I do love my kids. Now let me back up just a second before I get in trouble. I got a 21-year-old, I got a 7-year-old, and I love them to death, but man, when they're bad, it's tough, man. Isn't it? Parents, can you relate with me for a minute? Man, I love them, but boy, I'm just like, really? Come on. God gave his son as a promise that he had made hundreds of years before. And think about the qualities that he says. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. A son was given to us. God's one and only. That's John's point. You remember the gospel of John is written for us to believe. And by believing in Jesus and who he is, we might have everlasting life. That's the point of his gospel. But this son, this one, this only begotten one, this one of a kind, has another quality that makes this so much more impressive. He's divine. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Jesus had no problem saying that he was on the equal level with the Father. And this guy decides to come to earth to save wicked, disrespectful people. No wonder we should give him the praise. No wonder we should give him the glory. 
Who in here has never committed a sin? Who in here has always done it correctly? Who in here? Nobody. Why is Jesus so awesome? Because he saves us from our own mess. Glory. Hallelujah. I want to ask this question, and it's serious. Why would he do this? Why would he do it for people who could care less about him? People who would turn their back on him. Think about your actions. Think about what you say. Think about how you do it. Think about the way that you do it. Is it pleasing to God? Is it showing people that you love Jesus? I'm reminded of this song, And Can It Be? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? See, think about it. There was an important thing that needed to happen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And think about it. So everyone who believes in him will not perish. It's important to not rip the thought out of context. See, Nicodemus in the story, he has belief. But Jesus says that Nicodemus will not see the kingdom unless something happens. Belief is not merely an acknowledgement of Jesus. Is that important? Absolutely. Belief is not a confession that Jesus came from God. Is that important? Absolutely. Nicodemus made that confession. See, belief is not just witnessing Jesus' miracles. Belief is not just accepting that Jesus is an important person. Are those things true? Absolutely true. But here's the reality. True belief is new birth. The fruit of new, the fruit of true belief is new birth. Radical life transformation is the fruit of saving faith. In John chapter 2, verse 23, 24, and 25, listen to what this says. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify a man for he knew what was in man. Many believed in Jesus, but he didn't entrust himself to them because their belief was incomplete. See, there had to be a life transformation. Just had a baptism. What an awesome thing that is, right? Young brother, young brother in Christ 
How awesome is that? A radical life transformation just took place. He went into the watery grave, a dead man, and came out brand new. Glory. Hallelujah. That's what it's about. That's why we preach this Jesus. That's why John 3.16 is so important. Because outside of the body of Christ, all will perish. See, there's no middle ground. A person either has life-changing belief, or what is it? If our belief in Jesus is not enough to cause us to leave everything, you remember what he asked the apostles to do? Follow me. They dropped it and rolled. If our belief in Jesus is not enough to cause us to sacrifice and be transformed in our thinking by the renewing of our mind, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, then is it really belief? Think about Paul. Immediately after he was baptized, he stayed with the brethren just right there, Ananias in Damascus. And then it says, and he preached the Christ in the synagogue, that he's the Son of God. Then all who heard him, they were amazed. And they said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name, on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose? It was a complete shock. True belief will always lead to transformation. Therefore, Jesus lays down an important condition in John 3.16. Not everyone is going to be saved. Not everyone is going to see the kingdom of God. Not everyone is going to have eternal life with Him forever. Don't we want to tell somebody? Only those who believe will have eternal life because true belief says, what do you want me to do, Lord? Whatever you ask me to do, I'm in. I'll do it. I'm your bondservant. I'm your willing slave. I'll do it. I'll do it for you. Only those who believe will have eternal life. And the sad reality is not everyone will receive this amazing gift of love. See, many want to believe in Jesus, but aren't willing to actually do anything about it. Jesus wants us to be born again. Isn't this what he said? If you love me, you're going to obey what I say. This makes me sad, and I, I don't want anybody to face this. The Bible tells us that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But here's the reality. One day it's going to all be over. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Some will perish eternally. Separated from the Almighty God. It's easy to miss this. Jesus says that everyone who believes in Him will not perish. What's the power of the statement? The statement is this. Without Jesus, we perish. Remember Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
We live in a world today that preaches there's other ways. Oh, we're all going to the same direction. No, Jesus makes a strong statement. I'm the only way. Do we believe it enough? Perishing is our certain destiny. Like those in the wilderness were going to die because of the venom in their bodies from the snake bites. If we stood before him today, would, we see, would he see a life that's transformed, ready and willing to serve him, or a life that says, one day I'll follow you? Let me get a few things in order and I'll follow you. Or, or have you been serving him and you just said, you know what, Lord, I've done enough. I'm just going to coast on in. Listen to what Jesus is saying. God is love, and that's why he sent his son. We are perishing. We have a venom in our bodies, and sin is killing us. And God has provided the remedy to our perishing. Life-transforming belief. In Ezekiel chapter 18, God asks a question, Can a person who is wicked live? No, he can't live because of all the abominations that he's done. He must die. But then he says this in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? See, God doesn't want us to perish. He wants us to live, but he gives us the option Whoever truly believes in Jesus will have and partake in this new birth and will gain eternal life and will be saved. So I want you to think about this as we close shop. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Would we say that that's us? What's our treasure? Life transformation only takes place when Jesus becomes our treasure. Numbers chapter 21, verse 5. The ones in the wilderness said this, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Remember what bread they were eating? Manna from heaven. Manna from heaven. And they loathed it. It was worthless. We have this Bible with all this stuff. Would we say by our actions we believe it and we follow it? Or do we do just like the children of Israel and loathe this bread and consider it worthless? 
God loves the world in this way that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. If we believe that, brethren, let's be God's people and go tell somebody about it. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling. I appreciate you giving me the time to talk with you for just a few minutes. Maybe you're here and you need prayers. You're struggling with something. I know the elders and, and, and however you guys do it, I know somebody will be glad to help you. But maybe you're here this morning and you need to become a Christian just like that young brother did. Today's the day. You do it by obedience to the gospel. Being born again. Here's how you're born again. You believe who Jesus is, that he came, that he died, and that he rose. You do like Jesus said and you repent. Luke chapter 13, verse 3, or you'll perish. You do it by confessing his name. Jesus said that if you'll confess my name before men, I'll confess your name before my Father in heaven. And Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. You go into that water, an old man, and come out brand new, ready to serve King Jesus. And if you're faithful all the days of your life, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus says this, be faithful until death, and I'll give you a crown of life. Brethren, I may not see you ever again, but man, one day, that crown of life, it's going to be an awesome thing, ain't it? Whatever you need, please, come right now. Together we stand and sing.